I'm continuing, actually finishing the series called Christ the Church and Chaos this morning, and I have a lot of faith in my heart for this message as we ta- tackle a heavier topic, is we're going to look about at the blessings from suffering, the blessings in Christian suffering. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, that's where we find ourselves. I saw something amazing happen in the town where I grew up, Round Rock, Texas, and it was this massive turning of people to Jesus, this amazing amount of salvations. And the fascinating thing is it didn't happen through an evangelistic crusade that came into town. It didn't happen through a coordinated outreach of numerous churches. It didn't happen through some programming. It happened all through one family. Now, this family was a very ordinary family. They weren't a, a ministry family. To give you a little context, Larry and Nancy Madsen, they were high school sweethearts, Round Rock High School. They, Larry was an athlete, Nancy was a cheerleader. Uh, they had, had families that knew each other, just that kind of typical small town feel. They married, they settled down, had a, had a, a kind of a normal American life. He worked in, uh, as a city employee. They had three children. And as the children got into high school, things just were going great. The oldest son was a, a, a football player and really known in the school, and the daughters were, were athletes as well. Everything seemed to be going fine until one day Clay, the oldest son, came home talking about some, some physical problems he was having. As they took him to the doctor, they were horrified to find that he had cancer. And so... As time went on, the cancer got worse and worse. I'll I'll never forget, because I was in high school at the same time. Clay was two years older than me. I'll I'll never forget all the high school football players actually shaving their head to be in solidarity with Clay and taking a picture together. Now, the Madsen family wouldn't have been known as as Christians. They they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. They were a little more on the party side, real well-known in the community, but definitely not walking with God. But when you get desperate, you start looking for answers. And a wonderful Christian community surrounded them in their time of suffering, and they started going to this this church in town. And there they found Jesus. Uh, Not just Clay, but Larry and Nancy, the parents, and his, his two younger daughters. But On and on the cancer progressed until finally it was just wreaking havoc on Clay's body. And and he was in such pain that in in their desperation, they they started looking for for ways for him to have some alleviation of his suffering. And and so they tell a story uh, of going to this barn where this old farmer was having healing meetings. And they were packed in this this old barn, and, and at the end, Larry, the father, takes up Clay, the, the son. And Clay was, at the time, experiencing excruciating symptoms in his teeth and his jaw. And so Larry took him forward to get prayer. And as they're standing there, this farmer lays hands on both of them. And the crazy thing is the power of God hit Larry. And now Larry had no context for this. He's a, he's a new believer and certainly not in a church where these kind of things are happening. Larry says the power of God hits him. And Larry had been an athlete, but had had to stop his football career because he had blown out both knees. All of a sudden, the power of God's on Larry, and he starts doing these deep knee bends uncontrollably. And in that moment, his knees were completely healed for good. Now he looks over at Clay, and Clay's 
experiencing some, some relief from the pain, but as they're driving home to Larry's uh, just heartbreak, Clay is clearly not healed. And as several more months progress, Clay gets worse and worse until he finally dies. Well, we were devastated as a community. But the craziest thing happened is that Clay had gone out of his life being a strong believer, and so one by one, his close friends, kind of the, the, the popular scene in our high school, started making professions of faith in Jesus. And it was amazing to see what his life had done. And then Larry and Nancy made this decision. Instead of walking away from their faith, they said, we've been shown so much love by Christians, and God met us so much in our pain, even though we're absolutely devastated. We're going to open up our home to, to, to our friends and, and let them come in and, and hear about Jesus. So they partnered with a guy who had been instrumental in their salvation, and they would have groups of friends come in, and they'd do this walk through the Bible, Bible study. And soon, one by one, their friends were coming to Jesus. And it went from the ones to fives to tens to 20s to 50s to hundreds. After several years, 2,000 people had found Jesus in the Madsen's home. And, and it, it made me ask this question, what if my suffering could actually bring glory to Jesus? Let me turn it and ask us this morning, what if your suffering actually brought glory to Jesus? You see, when Jesus came to the earth, the majority of people actually missed him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah of the world, and he was missed. Why? Because we had the wrong understanding of glory. The people of Israel, they were looking for a conquering soldier, a victorious warrior, someone who would come and wield the sword and bring vengeance and, and retaliation on their enemies. That's who they were expecting, someone to ride in strong and mighty on a white horse, conquering their opponents. But instead, they found this, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. This is a messianic prophecy of what the Messiah would be. Let me tell you, this was already in Scripture, but it was completely looked over because they just didn't know what to look for. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like the lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who in his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. 
He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And though he had done no violence, nor was it any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after he has suffered he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. I believe that many of us are familiar with the suffering of Jesus on the cross to pay for our sins. We understand that. We understand that Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross and died an excruciating death for us. But what many of us are unfamiliar with is that Jesus' whole life was marked by suffering. That Jesus didn't come, as we often see on TV, with perfect hair blowing in the wind, holding a sheep as a, a mighty, beautiful, model Jesus. No, it says this. I, I, did you notice some of these adjectives, these descriptors, as you're actually listening to what Jesus would be like? He was like a tender root out of dry ground. That's unprotected. It's something that's fragile. It says this, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Those signs, of, those pictures and movies of model Jesus, that's not him. You wouldn't have been attracted to him. You wouldn't have been drawn. It said this, that he's a man of suffering. A man of suffering. He was familiar with pain. One from whom people actually hide their faces. This is not what we are drawn to. Right? We're drawn to the model. We're, we're drawn to the, the bodybuilder, the superhero. We're drawn to the pro athlete. And yet Jesus invites us into this life of walking with the suffering servant. And so my question for you today is will you join him? Will you join him in his suffering? Because for the Christian, there is blessing in the suffering. This isn't something popular in American Christianity. In fact, I, I looked at my study. I, I'm a voracious reader. I, I, I love books. I'm, I've been reading uh, since the time I was a, a, a teenager and started walking with God. I looked in my, my, my study at home on all the bookshelves. I came into my office and looked. I couldn't find one book on suffering. I thought about all the church services I've attended since I was a kid. I don't ever remember going to one church service where the whole message was dedicated to suffering. But I tell you, in 2020, we have to talk about this topic because it's a season where God is saying, will you join me? I want to bring you deeper. I want to take you from Christianity 101 to a more mature understanding of this faith. I want to encourage you to write this down, these five points I'm going to give you today, because I believe there is redemption for the suffering you're encountering, because in 2020, what I find is that everyone is suffering in some kind of way, whether you're suffering from the loneliness 
of quarantine, whether you're suffering from the loss of freedoms, whether you're suffering from the division in families as it's been such a divisive year, whether you're, you're suffering from financial hardship as so many have lost their jobs, whether you're suffering from the concern about peacefulness in our country that seems to be gone, whether you're suffering from fear of, of contracting some, some kind of sickness or illness. Maybe it's been hard on your family as it has been for so many. Maybe it's a, a painful time with your children or a brokenness in relationship. Others are suffering from things that are just pretty common, like pain at their workplace and pain in their job or uh, a divorce or uh, a brokenness. Or maybe all of this has just clouded you and you're suffering from depression. Let me tell you that God wants you to not waste your suffering. Point one. Point one. Suffering is an invitation to know Jesus in a deeper way. Suffering is an invitation to know Jesus in a deeper way. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says this in Philippians 3, 8. I love the scripture. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Sometimes you have to lose something to get something better. Sometimes you have to let go of something to have your hands free, to grab hold of what matters most. And so Paul said, I've lost so much. I mean, the guy had everything going for him. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, an intellectual giant succeeding as a leader in his generation. And he said, I just lost and I lost and I lost, but I have gained what is most value. And that is an intimate friendship with Jesus. Don't waste your suffering because it's an invitation to intimate friendship. says this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, we all want that, man. We want the power and the fellowship of his sufferings coming conformed to his death. About a quarter mile down the road from the little ranch I grew up on was this very austere, plain, boring, gray box cement building. And so it always confused me as a kid because there was nothing appealing to it. There was nothing attractive to it. Why it would just be packed on the weekends. It had three letters on it, VFW, Veterans of Foreign War. And I always wondered, why is this so packed? And my parents explained to me, Robert, there's something about friendships forged in the midst of war. There's something about suffering alongside someone else that builds a deeper friendship, a deeper fellowship than just hanging out according to affinities, according to hobbies. Our, our, our military personnel that we're so thankful for in this church, they can attest to that, that the people you go to war with, the people that you suffer alongside with are the ones that you build the deepest relationships with. Jesus is encouraging us and calling us to suffer with him and saying, in the midst of that, you're going to have a friendship with me like you've never known. I talk about the friendships between the pastors in our city. Some of you know I was sharing with you last week that the opposition to the, the light project with, with some of the community has, has grown and that things they've said have been hurtful and they've posted some pictures of my staff and, 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 and my team that just loves 
people and serves people so well. They've kind of come after them, and, 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 and it's just been, it's been a hard time for me. And, and so I've had these couple of pastors that have called me and said, Robert, let me tell you the story about when we were trying to build a building. And I, and I had a hundred people yelling at me and saying all kinds of, of things about me. And, and they, they just are sharing their sufferings about how, what they went through. And in the midst, I'm just like, oh, you're my brother. Ah, there, there is a fellowship of suffering. And there is a place that you can only know Jesus when you are not just going through the, the high and happy days and the green pastures and the quiet waters, but when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And you learn, although I am here and no one seems to be with me, you are with me. There is an invitation to fellowship with Jesus in your sufferings. Number two, number two, our suffering transforms us to be more like Jesus. This is a, a, a baffling verse, Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Hebrews is a book that's talking all about the supremacy of Jesus, and so this is just absolutely fascinating to me. It's talking about Jesus. It says, son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, and once made perfect, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and then once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. If Jesus had to go through suffering to become all he was called to be, how much more do we go through suffering to be shaped and crafted into the people we're called to be? Listen to how Paul interprets this for us in Hebrews 12, 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I hate hardship. I want to run from hardship. You know, hardship happens and we just start cursing the devil. I just bind you, you know. You get pulled out, you're driving, you're speeding, you get pulled over for speeding and you're like, I bind the devil. <laughs> no, that's discipline <laughs> for speeding. And so many of the hardships in our life even ones that you think you don't deserve. The Bible's saying, no, endure it as discipline. Watch this. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? You can ask my kids. They know they're my children because I have disciplined them. If you, that was not one of my kids right there, by the way. Um, someday they will do that, say that, but. If you, are, if you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So here's what happens. We go through hardship, and we're like, God must not like me. I must not be God's kid. He, he's not with me. And God's saying, no, I am right here with you. I am right here. But you have to go through this to know me and to become who you're called to be. Listen to this. Moreover, we have all human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. Endure hardship as though it is for your good in order that we may share in his 
holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. My goodness, I've had to learn this lesson since I, I was a late teenager, and especially starting right in my early 20s, I have run after Jesus. Like, I fell in love with him, and I said, I want everything I can have. So every day, I've been in the Word of God. Every day, I have spent time in prayer. I have been in small, I have always been a part of small group fellowship. I've always been discipled and gotten discipled. I've always been committed to a church. But I want to tell you, there's some things in my life, there were some issues in my life that all of those things didn't change. But that hardship, that suffering was actually the chisel that God came to the, the big hard rock of my life. And I'm saying, God, I, in prayer time, oh God, won't you take away my pride? And I'd finish praying and it's still there. But God said, I will. And he took the chisel and started going, kunk, kunk, kunk. I mean, it started with my heart problem. You guys have heard the story of my heart problem. I was an athlete, but it was all about me. And I was really into me. And so what happens, I end up on my back and lost sport after sport after sport after sport. It's hard to be prideful about being an athlete when you don't play sports. God just started taking that away. I remember uh, uh, starting in ministry. I was a college pastor in Texas. And, and, and man, I was seeking after the Lord and we were praying and fasting, but I, 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 I had some pride. I gotta confess, there was just some pride because people would talk about how we were one of the biggest college ministries in the nation and people would come and visit. And you know, I would try to give God the glory, but I always, you know, I'd always find a way to tell people we almost have a thousand students. You know, I'd tell them, oh yeah, we almost took 600 people. Oh yeah, no one else is like this. And there was pride in my heart. So what did God do? God allowed this newspaper uh, of these people that were, were hiding behind, behind pseudonyms to, to come and to accuse me of all these lies. Like they just wrote, they, I've told you before, they wrote this paper called Six Questions to Robert Herbert. They put a T on the end of my name. That was the most hurtful thing. And, um, and they just made up lies. And here's the thing about lies is... Your friends don't believe the lies. My staff didn't believe the lies. My friends didn't believe the lies. Our core didn't believe the lies. But crowds, crowds of people are influenced. And so people just started leaving. Not the, not the radical people for Jesus, but the ones who just wanted to be in the popular scene. Man, they just started leaving because all of a sudden our ministry had this, this cloud of, of, of confusion about we lost one third of our college group. I lost a lot of my pride. God used it to break off my pride. God is using suffering in your life to chisel off areas that can't be smoothed out in any other way. Endure hardship as discipline. Embrace your suffering. God's using it to change you. It's often a heart surgery. Heart surgeries are not pleasant. Point three, your sufferings, your suffering brings life to others. Your suffering brings life to others. You know, we, we have no problem 
thinking, well, yeah, Jesus is suffering on the cross. That brought life to me. But the Apostle Paul, he explains, no, as a Christian, when you suffer, there's this redemptive gift that actually brings life to other people. It's an actual, it's gonna actually take other people forward. Listen to this. He says this, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and had been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, and in danger from false believers, in danger of staying in danger too many times. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. What does this tell me? It tells me if I am going to be used by Jesus, I am going to suffer. If I am going to be used to advance the kingdom, I am going to suffer. And so this is so important because so oftentimes as Christians, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. We start throwing a pity party. It is so hard. You do not understand. I think about going, me going on those days where it's hard for me and going to talk to the Apostle Paul and going like, yeah, Paul. Yeah, sure. You know, you, you were in prison. Well, I had to quarantine and just, I, I could only watch Netflix. You know, I, I think about Paul being like, I was hungry and thirsty. And I'm like, yeah, I understand. The restaurant down the street closed down. I had to use Uber Eats. Right? I, I, I mean, th this is why I love th this text because no matter how much I suffer, I look at this and go, wow, you suffered so much more. Certainly I can endure a little quarantine. You know, Paul's like, I got, I was scourged 40 times on my back. I'm like, I know, Paul, I got a nasty email. Someone said something on a direct message that hurt my feelings. I know I'm suffering, you know. Um, but, but here's why. What Paul said was happening through it. 2 Corinthians 4, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. What? What wrong? Well, Pastor, you said if I come to Jesus and everything's I'm going to live and he's going to take it and let me rest. No, this, is, this, guys, we're going deep. Because yes, he gives abundant life, but life in the kingdom comes through death. No, no, deep, deep Christianity, he's calling us to suffer with him. He says, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't bear much fruit. So right now, you feel like you're dying. Right now, you're like, this is hard. I thought this was supposed to be the abundant life. I thought I was supposed to be in a green pasture and a quiet water. I thought in the presence is fullness of joy. I feel it in the presence is squeezing me until I die. 
Why? Because you're a kernel of wheat going to the ground and dying. You're getting buried. You think it's going to be all over. But when that happens, God can crush the outer person so the Spirit of God can rise up and bring resurrection power and life. Because listen to what it says. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 12. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. We think, oh, the more I walk with Jesus, the more people are just going to just salute me and they're going to just worship me and I'm just going to get promoted and promoted. And he said, actually, you're going to often feel like you're at the very back of the procession. like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go around hungry and thirsty. We're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. Any place that you see a church bringing blessing, bringing ministry, bringing transformation, any ministry that you're receiving for that, that's transforming lives, someone is dying and paying the price for that. Let me try that again, because I don't know that we got that. Any place where the life of God is moving, any place that's full of the presence of God, any place where people are being transformed, it's because someone is paying the price for the kingdom to come. You're suffering when you do it with Jesus, when you, when, when you are willing to walk with him. Um, let, let, me, let me show you a picture. Um, can you put that picture up of, of the, uh, every, every morning I, I spend time with the Lord and then I, 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 I read my scripture and then I go for a, a walk and I pray walking um, because I'd, I'd always fall asleep when I try to pray sitting or kneeling. So I, I pray walking and, and on my hike, about halfway through it, I've put this little cross together to just consecrate this one spot to the Lord because it's where I come and every morning I, I kneel down and I put my hand on that center stone. I think there's a picture of me, uh, my hand, putting it on that stone. Can you see that? Is that up? Um, and I, I, first of all, every day I, I recenter on the cross. I thank Jesus for dying on the cross. I thank him for taking my sin in his body and washing me clean and giving me new life. I thank him for what the cross means, that I'm not going to hell, but that I'm purchased by his blood, that I'll spend eternity with him. But then the second thing I do is I put my hand on that cross and I embrace the cross. I say, Lord Jesus, you tell me to pick up my cross. And so today I embrace suffering for your sake. Today, I embrace what you did, pain for other people. I, I embrace being called names and being misunderstood so that others can live. I embrace the challenges and trials of caring people that, that, that don't know you yet. I embrace being hated by people because you said that would happen. I embrace whatever you want because my life is not my own. I embrace the cross today so that others might find you, so that others might live, so that others might experience your presence. Have you chosen to embrace 
suffering so that others can live. Point four. In suffering, we find God's comfort and then we are able to give it to others. Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be comforted. I wanna tell you that, that suffering is an actual opportunity to receive from God. It's, a, it's an opportunity to, to, to experience this unbelievable comfort from him. Listen to what the scripture says. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. So many of us, the enemy just wipes us out in our suffering because all of a sudden we're saying, well, where is God? Like, if God is so good, why is this happening to me? Man, believe me, I, I was a Christian kid and I end up almost dying from this heart condition and just losing everything, sport after sport. And I'm like, why? Why me, Lord? If you run away from God, it's the exact thing the enemy wants you to do. If you run away from the church, I, I, I find people, something bad happens to them, and so they're like, I'm out of the church. Like, I'm gonna get back at God. You know, you, that's, that's, that's the, doing the exact thing the enemy wants you to do because God, he is the father of compassion. He is the father. What does that mean to suffer with? I remember when my youngest child was born and the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck, and so he comes out blue and not breathing, and they rush him off to ICU. Can I tell you, I hurt so much more than he did. I sat by his bed, I had my hand on his chest, and my heart was dying within me. That is how a father, and, and I'm, I'm an imperfect, selfish person. When my children hurt, when, when, when my children have gotten injured in life, it hurts me so much more than it hurts them. That is how God is with you. I remember my dad, when I had my heart problem, he used to say this to me, and, and this is totally wrong theology, but it showed his heart. He said, Robert, I'm praying that God gives me your heart problem so I can be in the one in bed suffering and not you. That's what your father is like. That's what your heavenly father is like. Now, don't get tripped up on that because my dad didn't know and, he was just thinking, you know, I just want to take it from you. And God's not looking for someone to, 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 to give that to. But that's how your father in heaven is. When you're suffering, it's hurting him more than it's hurting you. And therefore, that's why it says, when you walk through the waters, I will be with you. Because he's not going to leave you alone. He is the father of compassion. But keep reading. It says, and the God of all comfort. Some of us have gone through such excruciating pain. Like you've been abused. You've been neglected, you've been left alone, you've been abandoned. Can I tell you there's no pain greater than God's comfort for you? There is no pain too great that God can't comfort. Oh, I know it might seem dark right now. You might seem like you're in the middle of the night, but let me guarantee you, seek after God and comfort will come in the morning. There's no pain too great for God's comfort to cover over. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. Did you see that? He comforts us so we can comfort those with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through 
Christ. A couple weeks ago, I was having a meeting with Joe and Tricia Rhodes, uh, some of our newest pastors, which, by the way, get ready for a great message next week. I've asked uh, Tricia to preach on uh, like her signature message, which is soul at rest. Just saying the topic just makes me go, ha, ah. she's written a book about it. It's gonna be awesome. So she'll be preaching next Sunday. I'm sitting down with them and we're supposed to be strategizing for our, our, our missionaries and the conference that's coming up that we're having for them. But instead, they look at me and they're like, Robert, are you okay? And I don't hide emotions very well. And so I'm like, no. And, and, and so they asked me what was going on. And they said, you know, in our 40 years of pastoring, okay, 40 years of pastoring, we'll stop and think about that for a minute. Said in, in our 40 years of pastoring, they started just going through some of the hardships that they had. And then how God met them. And I mean, they talked about when they were missionaries to, to an, an indigenous people group in, in Alaska and how their, some of the people that gave their life to Jesus were killed how God met them in that. And they talked about their pain, their betrayal, their loneliness. And do and you know what? At the end of our time, my problems were not fixed at all. But I felt like someone had taken my hurting heart and put it on a dream pillow, like just a soft feather pillow. I still had the same problems, but you see, God had met them in comfort. And so when I'm listening to them, I was just like, Ah, ah, it's like I was curling up on a little pillow because I was receiving the comfort that God had supernaturally given them. They could supernaturally give it to me. The comfort, if you will go after God, don't run from him in your suffering. If you will go after God, he will meet you in your pain. The, the, the people I meet that are the most godly, the people that I meet that I'm with them, I get refreshed in the Lord. They're not the people that have had the easiest life. Have you noticed that? It's people who have suffered but walked with Jesus and received his comfort, his life, and his love, and it permeates out of every cell of their being. And can I tell you that you can be that? It's your choice. God wants that for you, point five. Last point. This is my favorite, absolute favorite. Christian suffering is a doorway to supernatural joy. Christian suffering is a doorway to supernatural joy because what the world gives is a superficial joy. And even much of Christianity is just a superficial joy. I got the most awesome mocha today, praise God. Right? <laughs> Dude, I, I caught the sickest wave. God is so good, right? Oh my gosh, I had the best walk with my poodle today. God loves me. My poodle licked me. Uh, we, we can have the most like shallow circle. And, and, and hey, listen, enjoy your coffee. I'm blessed by coffee, right? I, I love a good surf. I like poodles, but... There are, suffering is a doorway to actually finding something deeper. Can we have joy when all the world is going wrong? Can you still find joy when the barista messes up your coffee order? Can you, can you still find joy 
right, when, 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 the, when the water's a mess out there? Can you still find joy, right? Can you still find joy when, when, when your relationship, when you get dumped? Can you still find joy when, when, when your family's at odds? Can you still find joy when your boss is out to get you? Can you still find joy when you lost your job? Can you still find joy when you don't have the money, when you're not gonna get to go on the fun excursion for the weekend? Can you still find joy when you're sick? Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I've found that when I'm in tons of blessing, I actually have more wandering eyes. Look at this. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Look at this car. Look at this coffee. Look at this vacation. And when I'm suffering, Jesus, I need you. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him. He endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I picture myself going up to the cross. It says enduring it, scorning its shame. No, the cross was so shameful. The cross wasn't this beautiful little necklace you wear. It was a rugged, splintery piece of wood that was used over and over again so it had blood and flesh in it, and it was a place where you got pierced. And and talk about shame. No Roman citizen was allowed to be crucified. Do you know that? Like all the citizens, none of them. It was only the dregs of society. It was only the lowest of the lows, the scum of the earth. So a cross death was a scandalous, disdainful death. And in fact, they stripped you of your clothes. You were totally naked up there. I mean, the most shameful, the most humiliating. And Jesus actually went and endured it. I just picture myself wrapping my arms around this rugged, splintery cross and saying, I will not let go because I don't want to live for temporal joys. I want to find the presence of God. I want, to, I want to walk this life so when I finally get to the end, you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come rule and reign with me. That's your destiny. And God wants to take you from being a superficial Christian rocked by the waves of this life to a deep person that finds joy in the midst of your suffering because I cannot guarantee you that things are getting better anytime soon, but I can guarantee you that you can find joy in the midst of your suffering if you'll go and wrap your arms around the cross and say, I will not let go until I find you. Amen, let's stand up.